0: Hi my friends, welcome to Word Made Digital. I am your host, Joanna LaFleur, and this is season four, episode 10. Today on the podcast, we have pastor, teacher, author, brilliant mind of Bruxy Cavey. Have you heard of Bruxy? He's the author of End of Religion. He also has a newer book called Reunion and it's about good news for Jesus for seekers, saints and sinners. His whole thing is about the irreligious nature of the gospel of Jesus. So we're going to love talking to him and getting in his brain about how he communicates and even we're getting down to um, we're talking about stage presence and clothing and why he thinks so he does about how he approaches his work as a communicator. So you're going to love this conversation with Broxy. but hey thanks so much just in general for all the feedback the comments the tweets the people who've taken the time to email and just say thank you or to say how some specific episode has helped them uh, makes me want to keep doing this it encourages me and encourages the whole team i make sure to send it on to partners and team members just to uh, let people know that there are real people out there like you who are listening and being impacted by this work and word made digital is um, is helping you in your work and your ministry and your life so that's the whole point hey if you want to connect to this community Check out the Digital Church Facebook group. Uh, There's a link down in the profile, but it's facebook.com slash group slash Word Made Digital. Or you can just go and search for Word Made Digital or Digital Church in Facebook and you're going to find us. And uh, this is a group that's all about community, connecting, growing, learning together, but also really trying to collaborate and share ideas and have meaningful conversations about all stuff, church and digital. So if that sounds like something you want to join us in, we'd love to see you in the Facebook group. Thanks so much to Partner Compassion. They are partnering themselves and so we are partnering as Compassion partners. With churches all around the world who are working right now in this COVID 19 crisis in the midst of the challenges of poverty and, in some cases, really broken infrastructure or healthcare systems or economies that are just overwhelmed in low resource areas uh, by this pandemic. We know how it's affected our lives, and compassion is working with local churches all around the world. They were there before, now they're there in the midst of it, and I love that they're just, of course, going to continue to be there after, and their staff are adapting and evolving in how to make it work in the midst of a pandemic. Like I love, I'm hearing these stories of how they're connecting with families over WhatsApp, just like you and I are doing. Families all over the world are connecting to the work of Compassion, the local church, through technology, just like us. And of course, Compassion has been distributing like millions of food kits and and healthcare things and hand sanitizer and providing medical supplies and hygiene things and food and water and other kinds of resources. This is the first time, I think I've talked about this before, But, you know, this is the first time in a century where poverty is going to increase, not decrease this year. We're going to be kind of seeing a reversal of a lot of years of work. So there's just so many ways for us to get involved. We've all been impacted by the pandemic and would love to see you um, do something about it in the world to our global brothers and sisters. So you can go to compassion.ca slash COVID and give something today. Small amount, big amount, whatever you can. Would love for you to participate with us. Thanks also to Wycliffe College who has gone digital uh, with all things education. So if you're looking for a seminary degree or you want to take a course, maybe you want to learn more about the New Testament or you want to learn more about technology or you want to learn more as a leader. Well, I went to Wycliffe College. I loved it. And now you can, I mean, you've always could take courses online, but now there's so many options online, uh, in class, online, full-time, part-time, whatever works with your schedule and whether you want a whole degree or just a course, I encourage you to check in. Wycliffe College dossier slash Word Made Digital and you can see uh, why I chose them and why I think uh, you should check them out too. All right, we're diving into this conversation. I happened to do this live just before. This was a part of a day where uh, the same day with Mark Clark. It's amazing actually to hear the contrast and the beauty of, you know, the church with so many different diverse ideas in it. You'll compare and contrast maybe between the Mark Clark approach to communication and then the Bruxy Cavey approach to communication, both pastors of significant church and both amazing communicators and teachers of the Bible and can't wait for you to dive into this conversation with Brexy. let's go
1: welcome to the word made digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur you're listening to season four sponsored by compassion Canada and Wycliffe College Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go.
0: Bruxy, I'm so glad to have you.
2: Thank you, Joanna. This is a privilege.
0: Uh, we're on Word Made Digital, in this podcast um, really is speaking to creatives and communicators. And so a lot of people um, who are communicators, um, they're coming from all over the world to listen to the podcast. So first, could you just, who are you or what's the context in which you're a communicator?
2: Sure. All right. Yeah. I'm more than just a guy with a weird name. So my name is Bruxy and I am uh, the pastor of a church in the Toronto area called The Meeting House. Our tagline is The Meeting House, a church for people who aren't into church. And we have tried to create a safe space for spiritually curious people to come and ask questions um we are a church that's grown over the years so we're we're a few thousand people now another odd thing about us is that we are a multi-site church so we have 20 campuses at this point in time where we share the teaching via video across all the campuses and so from the outside looking in you might think we're a we're a large you know, mega multi-site church but from the hmm. inside out what's important for us is um, we see ourselves as a house church movement hmm. we have we call them home churches and uh, we have over 100 home churches spread out over the area and so that's how we keep it small and relational and the discussions in home church are tied in with the teaching on sunday which is a, a communication value for us that questions should be welcome and so on Sunday we have Q&A as part of the teaching. Just, we, I think that holds high symbolic value to say church should be a place where you get to ask questions. And then in home church, if people go there, they get to discuss the sermon on Sunday, pick it apart if they want to, ask their own questions, and do some more Bible study. Usually, Driving towards the so what. So what? What am I going to do differently right. in my life in light of this? So yeah. that gives you an idea. Oh, and maybe lastly, Meeting House comes from an Anabaptist background as opposed to evangelical or Catholic or Protestant, where Anabaptists are kind of that Jesus centered movement that grew out of the Protestant Reformation called the Radical Reformation. And people might know them today mostly as um, Mennonites and Amish in yeah. North America anyway. But we're just very Jesus-centered. Um, we're kind of gaga for Jesus. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: well, I worked at a Mennonite Brethren Church all right. um, for a few years in Waterloo, Ontario. And so there's tons of... when. And before I was familiar with Mennonite and Brethren, my impression was, you know, is everyone... Like, is everyone an Amish? Like, they're going right. to be in a horse and buggy going yes. to church for the yes. Mennonite word. And then the Brethren, I was thinking, because of my experience, head coverings, yeah. men on one side, women on the other, women don't speak, you know, right. all yeah, these yeah. kinds of things, which which was different than what it really was to work in a Mennonite Brethren Church. So I'm sure with um, Brethren in Christ Now Be in Christ, it's a similar... Uh, background in theology. Well, and it's a great
2: illustration how within the Christian church, if we don't have proximity, that is getting close to one another, all we have is stereotypes of one another yeah. and that, that's filling wow. the space, right? So um, many many of us just need to work harder, I think, at rubbing shoulders with Christians that are not like us. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, we'll find maybe we have more in common than we thought, especially with Jesus in common. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty good news.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to poke at something you just said when you were explaining mm-hmm. the Really, the system of your church, mm-hmm. maybe you don't like the word system but so. but the something unique about how you structure your services is this q and a time, yeah, can we talk about yeah. about that um, where, where has that always been part of it, and where did that come from, and what I mean you mm-hmm. must get some weird yeah. questions how does that even how does that work?
2: we do for communicators, I think it is it's valuable to somehow find a way to let people know that this is a place that welcomes questions and that you as a communicator welcome the, we we have to find ways, even if they're just symbolic ways of turning monologue into dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, Dialogical learning is something that I think is uh, very close to the heart of God. Um, You know, when he writes the Bible, it's not a codified book of systematic theology. Um, You have Leviticus, but aside from things like that, you have story and God's inviting you into hearing uh, the story of others and it, it, it becomes conversational in your own mind as you're engaging with the characters like shouting at the screen when you're watching a movie don't go into the basement he's in the basement <laughs> and as you're reading through scripture it teases out of you your own inner inner dialogue with the text you know and um, and so I think God finds a way of turning monologue into dialogue mm. through narrative and and so when we teach, to somehow do that, I think is going to be important. Um, and one of those techniques, and I think there's many, but one of them that I, I like to use and I've been using since I first started as a, a communicator is Q&A. Embedding Q&A into uh, regular Sunday mornings, not even saying we have a Q&A session after the service, but to say it's going to have a high enough value, we're going to do it right in the middle of our teaching time on a Sunday morning. And I realize. With a church of uh, of thousands and just a few minutes for Q and A, we're not. It's not going to be exhaustive. We're not going to get to all the different questions, but. Again, I think it holds high symbolic value. It says this is a safe place for questions. Uh, part of our spiritual expression should not just pretend to be pretending we have all the answers, but asking questions. Mm. Sometimes when people ask a question of me and I say, I, I, I don't know, but that's a great question. I should go and research it. I get some of the best feedback from that. Huh. People say, I just love how you said you didn't know. That, that models for me that the pressure's off. And the questions will have value whether or not we always have the answers.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that's the big fear when mm-hmm. someone's like, well, if I let someone ask questions publicly, mm-hmm. first of all, you can get some weird. Yes. Uh, or people who have, I shouldn't say weird. Well, there is weird, but There's what weird. I also mean by that is, you know, people's emotional stuff that's yeah. coming out at you, yeah, their their own it's issues. Even
2: worse than weird is you get aggressive. Sometimes. Maybe that's. People yeah. who are, you've triggered something in what you've said that they disagree with. Christians don't, haven't learned how to disagree well. Um, you know, we have, for most for more of our church history we have killed each other over disagreements than we then have not killed each mm-hmm. other so it's only been a few hundred years that we've learned how to not kill each other over disagreements now so i guess we should be grateful for that but still christians don't disagree well and some people get triggered they get emotional and that can leak out even if they're trying not to be aggressive some anger or some aggression can leak out during their question. It's very true.
0: Yeah, and so is there any vetting process that you do? Just, it's just a, no. I'm thinking of the leaders who are like, oh, if yeah. I were to implement this, yeah. do you do anything with like a filter? There's no filter before no, they go no. to the mic.
2: No, that's right. Sometimes people will send in uh, text questions from an earlier service, and and our crew will say we could tell you what those are going to be, and I'll say no, don't tell me. I just want to oh, hear yeah. it off the cuff because when people ask our own people at work or when they're hanging out with friends or family, questions they don't get vetted you know they're kind of they have to respond right away they put on the spot so i appreciate it being more spontaneous yeah now having said that Every so often, we'll have a full Sunday that's just a Q&A Sunday, oh, okay. and we'll tell people for that Sunday, send in your questions ahead of time, and I'll do more research on the questions and do my best to answer them. So there is that kind of Q&A that is vetted. It's, it's synthesized. We'll blend questions together into sub-themes. Right. And, and you, so you research. get the best
0: kind of questions right. filtering to the surface. Yes,
2: yeah, because sometimes, you know, Solomon is right. There's nothing new under the sun. Everyone thinks they have a unique question, but uh, 20 other people have asked that question as well, so we'll synthesize it together. and. And so I think, but I think it's a both and. So if people are new at this, I say by all means, start by asking people to send in questions ahead of time. Look them over. Do your research. Mm -hmm. um, Check out the ones you don't feel prepared to address. Or you could mention, even mention what they are, but say, I don't feel ready to cover that. Um, But uh, you ease into it that way. But then eventually you may get to the point where you're, yes, you're doing that on some Sundays, but you're also just having spontaneous questioning. And my theory is that it's never a lose. It's always a win. Hmm. Even if, so if you have someone who is struggling uh, with a mental or emotional issue and the question is just awkward or odd, well, then you get to model how you treat someone who is, they're taking up your time. It's inconvenient. They're not being clear in how they're communicating, but you're still able to gently guide them along and show some love. When do we model that from people mm-hmm. from the front if we're always just kind of lecturing? Um, and if it's someone who's hostile and Jesus says we've got to love our enemies, how do I get to model responding in gentleness to someone who's hostile towards me. Wow. So I think that it can actually be all of it redeemed and used as part of the teaching process, including the times when we say, I just don't know the answer to that. Now we can model humility and, and we don't have the pressure. We can model that I don't feel the pressure of being right all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and in some of this, the uh, sort of a secondary question to that is, is, you know, a lot of leaders are anxious and fearful people, yeah. maybe because people are fearful and anxious people. It's not yeah, like yeah, unique yeah. to leaders, That's but true. then with leaders, you have this extra weight of, of leading. Yeah. Um, so I've seen in you, although I think you've, you've always presented yourself, um, I mean, the way you're presenting yourself here, you're, you're calm and you're soft-spoken uh, and you lead from a meek place power under control. Hmm. But uh, I've seen even over the years, you're um, even more so that way. Yes. You are gentler than you've ever been before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in an age of anxiety,
2: yeah.
0: how should people be communicating?
2: Do you know what struck me at one point is that the fruit of the Spirit is for all time, for all Christians, not and, and preachers are not accepted, accepted for that. It's not an exemption. So um, I, I think the gentleness, I mean, the love and the joy and the peace and the kindness and, and the self-control and the gentleness and mm. faithfulness, these, these aspects of, of being human are things that we, preachers should be modeling as they preach. And uh, some of us have grown up in traditions where the kind of communication that was for church w- lacked gentleness and it lacked peace mm. and it lacked joy. You don't laugh about the serious things of God, right? Yeah. And, and and we called that holiness. of That guy's got a zeal for holiness. And usually what it did have was uh, it was laced with anger. Hmm. And anger was misinterpreted. And pride, perhaps, yes, you know, looking right. down on people yes. who can't figure it out. Yes, it becomes a harshness to it. And that harshness hmm. is something that we misinterpreted as holiness. So that when the pastor would pound the pulpit and would yell, we'd think, wow, this guy has a real zeal for holiness. Huh. And and actually, no, he's modeling something that is not the fruit of the Spirit. And so it occurred to me that it doesn't matter how attractive, because it can be very attractive, that kind of hyper-confidence. I'm so confident you need yeah. to listen to what I have to Swagger. say. Yeah, right. It can be very attractive to the people who just want to be told what to believe. And so I, I could see the church is growing. Well, that's right. it. There
0: are church. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. I don't want to name them, but there yeah. are churches that, that do grow yes. under... That um, maybe hyper masculine. Yes.
1: Um, hyper- kind of leadership It may
0: not be ma- maybe maybe isn't necessarily a man, but the the bravado kind yeah. of style.
2: It's very true. And, and yeah. so
0: you would say that that wouldn't be the yeah. w- that's not your approach.
2: No, I just realized that. Um, it's not like I should disciple someone in the fruit of the spirit in my off hours, but when I'm preaching, I have a different persona. <laughs> that a, a bulk of how we perpetuate a, a kingdom culture at our churches, um, how we the values of this kingdom culture uh, get passed on to people, is going to be through the Sunday teaching. And that goes to tone and posture and how we approach different topics. And so I just realized that th- I'm discipling people right now in a tone, in an attitude. And if it's not the attitude of the Spirit, then I am not teaching appropriately. Wow. Um, so that's, so I have really you know, asked Jesus to help me. Um, model the fruit of the spirit every time I'm having a conversation one-on-one or when I'm teaching to thousands, it it should all be the fruit of the spirit.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, there are days, of course, that you are angry. I mean, everyone, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. are angry or frustrated or prideful or some some emotions can be... they're, they're very real. They're, we can be angry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then what do you do with that? How right. would you, if you, whatever, I mean, you're, you're the nature of Sunday comes every week. You're yes. preaching a lot of those Sundays.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, how, how do you be authentic, but also put some of that in its proper place? Right. right.
2: And you have to do internal work to yeah. um, I want to be the follower of Christ that I'm inviting other people to become mm. and not just put on the show of humility or gentleness. Um, but it is challenging because, uh, In the New Testament, I found that the word orge, which is the Greek word for anger, is almost universally uh, seen as sin when it applies to humans Mm. and righteousness when it applies to God.
0: Interesting. When it
2: applies to God, it's called wrath, and it's the emotion associated with judgment, and he's the judge. And when it's applied to human beings, because it's the emotion associated with judgment, and we should not judge, um, it's seen as sin. And when I say that, I know there'll be some listeners, if they know their Bible, who will say, well, what about be angry and sin not, in the Ephesians 4. And I know their minds would go there because it is the only verse in the New Testament that says it's possible to sin to, to be angry and not sin. That's Ephesians 4. But what the Apostle Paul does, he goes right on to say, how can you be angry and not sin? So it's true, anger is like the temptation to sit in the seat of judgment. But how, how can you be angry and not sin? Well, he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Get rid of it, or else you're giving the devil a foothold. So the most positive thing in all the New Testament about anger is that there is a way you can be angry and not sin. Get rid of it Mm. right away. And he says, and if you don't, you're inviting in the devil. It's pretty intense. <laughs> pretty wow. intense. It's the most positive thing it says. And then just a couple verses later, he has another one of his sin lists. They're called vice lists where Paul says, here are the things that you should not find among you. He does that a few times in his letters. And what's back on the list there? Anger. He says, you should not. Christians should not find this among themselves. So there's a kind of anger that, that I think wells up naturally inside us. Um, and that's not sin. That's temptation. Uh, but... It's strange that we have a culture in the church that actually nurtures that and encourages it through angry preaching, hmm. models it. I think that would be similar to finding someone attractive is a temptation, but it would be strange if we had a culture that nurtured lust and said, you should well, go Well, we do.
0: It. We do have yeah. a culture yeah, right. that nurtures lust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mean in the church, though? <laughs> yeah, in the church,
2: though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think we, we understand anger is natural and real. It's not yeah. necessarily sin. but. I think people who are angry and people who are not angry, we should all agree that the goal is to help someone move past their anger um, into, uh, into what we see in the fruit of the Spirit.
0: Right. I love this. And, and recently, well, it was months ago now, but sometime in the last year we were um, in a room with a lot of women who were being trained as mm. communicators mm. through the Women's Speaker Collective. Great.
2: fantastic. And Love Danielle that.
0: Strickland had you um, on stools with her at the front right. as one of the, you know, trainer, teacher people. And there was you said some really interesting things. You said so many things there. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, getting into the process side, because that was the you know, what you were doing in this room, it was teaching process, yeah. how you prepare to speak. Okay, yeah. um, there was something that you talked about that you do before you go out on stage. Mm. Uh, what's, what's that? What's your pre-game ritual? Sure,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, part, part of, uh, I mean, there's probably a, a number of things and I don't necessarily remember exactly what you heard me say then, but I can think of one of the things is, uh, is I really ask God to help me love the people I'm about to talk to um, And some of that happens before I go out on stage, but some of that happens after I go out on stage, just before I open my mouth to speak. Mm. To take a deep breath and look around, and to see some faces, and to let those faces be representative of all the faces that are there, and to just experience a moment of their worth, of their value. To say, well, I've just noticed three or four faces, and these are image bearers of God, infinitely precious creations, and I get to be in the same room as them, and we're about to learn something together, this is real privilege. Wow. And and that helps me because I'm a naturally nervous person, I'm an introvert, and that helps me get pushed past my introversion and say, you know what, Bruxy, it's not all about you and being nervous and having to succeed and making sure you impress when you teach and not making a mistake. Um, It's really about this shared experience together. And so honoring just the people who are in the room with me in that moment, kind of frees me up from not being so nervous and making it all about me. And together we can focus on Jesus and then I'm I'm good to go.
0: Yeah. I have a couple more questions Mm -hmm. for you. But one of them... Uh, is a question I've never heard. I've never heard you talk about. It's possible mm. that I just haven't had access to it. Mm. I'm curious about the style that you bring to stage. What mm-hmm. I mean is, like, you're literally your your clothing. Mm. Um, people yeah. who haven't seen you before, you have a really distinct fashion sense. Maybe you'd say <laughs> it's a lack of fashion, yes, a, right, whatever right. it may be. I'd, I'd love to get in your head a little because um, certainly more for women than for men. Yeah. But what we wear. Matters in the sense that it's part of what we're communicating. And, you know, you have long hair. I mean, I'm just describing for people who have maybe never seen you, make sure to go check out Bruxy's style.
2: I had a newspaper article describe me as a blonde, beefy biker type. (laughs) (laughs) Another article said I'm a cross between Willie Nelson and Santa Claus. So I'm like that (laughs) overweight hippie dude. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, you are like a hippie. And, I mean, I don't know, would you say that's an intent? I'm just curious, is that a choice you've made? Is that you just don't even think about it? I mean... Right. What does? How does that help and not help yeah, sure. what you're doing? It's a doing. combination
2: of two things. Yeah. I think if someone says, oh, I don't put any thought into how I dress is, is probably unaware of how much we even subconsciously yeah. do care about how we look, yeah. even if we care about looking like I don't care about how I look. And I think some people are intentional about that. Um, so I understand that some of it is uh, intentional um, and, and it's just style. And some of it actually has a theological background to it, oddly enough. Mm. Um, and it And so... Coming out of, I'll start with the theology, coming out of an Anabaptist background now, part of what we believe is that we should do what we can to create the cues around us, the visual cues, that the church is the people, not the place. So in many of our churches we don't have any iconography. There's no stained glass windows. There's no cross at the front. We don't want to give any sense that you've now entered holy space. There's no altar, you know, big table at the front as there are in some churches. This is not a replica of Old Testament sacrificial space. This is not a, a, a sacred space. The sacred space is the space between us as people, the body of Christ. And so that's why early Anabaptists, uh, as they met in homes or in barns or in caves or in the woods on the run from the persecutors, that was okay from them because they said, we don't need to find circular space. We don't need to build a building. Um, and so part of that is even how we wear that are we dressed that we don't dress any differently on Sunday than we would any other day of the week and as pastors we don't dress in any way that would set us apart from your average person um, so we have lots of people who wear suits and ties to church on Sunday at the meeting House and we have a name for them. We call them visitors. <laughs> 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 They're usually new. Um, but that idea of getting dressed up for church is an older religious concept that, that misunderstands the nature of the kingdom that that we have to get dressed up for the king was always... My, my parents would always say and my grandparents too would say, listen, if the queen came to visit, you would dress up your body and we're going to meet with the king of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I say that's so true and the New Testament says, therefore, this king of the universe wants us to dress up our hearts we're to be clothed in christ we're to be clothed in humility the new testament all the clothing verses for dressing up in the new testament are about dressing up your heart and then james talks about your physical appearance and he talks about dressing down rich people shouldn't dress up he says because poor people you'll create a status and it
0: divides you divides you and poor people can't
2: dress up to look the same so the rich people have to voluntarily dress down you got to dress casual for church in order not to separate yourselves into two different classes Um, so, so some of it is theological that I want to model that from the front that this is just a safe place. This is a come as you are party, and and I can say that with my mouth, but if I appear like I'm, I'm kind of starched my collar and I'm dressed in a special way to go to the special holy place, mm-hmm. that it's sending mixed signals. Mm. And then the other is that um, I I am just kind of being myself, and I like my wife likes my hair longer, and yeah, and I and I'm I I I'm just a sloppy. I like the casualness of being, yeah, I like being casual. I feel when I, once I even tuck in my shirt, I feel like, I'm not being me. I don't know why, why that is. I <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, I know you're doing a wedding later today. Uh, you're performing with, right. a wedding. What will you? What do you wear I to a wedding? wear a suit in time. Oh, you will? Okay, yeah. you do have one. <laughs> because in the end,
2: right, because in the end, love would say, I don't want to draw attention that I'm so out of context, it makes right. no sense. Oh, I see. And so when the pastor walks up to the front and everyone's dressed in suits and I'm in jeans and a t-shirt, then I'm actually just drawing attention to myself, I think, in an unloving way. So I put on a suit and I will do for that, for as a gift to that uh, bride and groom, but If it's a church where I'm actually, hopefully, setting the tone, I want to set the tone that you don't have to get dressed up. There's nothing. The special, the special thing here is not the place or our bodies. It's our hearts. Hmm.
0: Um, I'm curious to know, um, in a in our context, in our culture. and particularly when I'm thinking of the digital space, you know, you're speaking live to an audience, but then you also have a lot of people engaging with your teaching yeah. digitally. How does that affect, what's your What's your philosophy around how that affects their interaction with you, mm. their viewing of you, um, their engagement with the content, you know, et cetera. How is the digital space changed uh, or mm. affecting what you do?
2: Well, it's interesting because it pushes in two directions at the time. On the one hand, we might say, I do think about being as visual as possible in uh, communication. Is there any visual illustration or slide or picture that can help the teaching <clears throat> that will both help in person I think also digitally? It's a visual medium. But having said that, a lot of people listen to the audio version of the podcast mm. and won't see a thing.
0: Yeah, they don't um, know what you
2: look like. Right, and they're not going to see when I put up an interesting picture or a graph. or. Um, and so, so, a lot of, so then I also have to care about my words describing enough what I want people to see with their mind's eye that someone who just listens to the audio podcast is is um, is going to get the whole message, the whole story. And so pushing it in both ways at the same time, how can I make it more visual, visual but more verbally descriptive and it, make it a both-and hmm. is an ongoing challenge. So sometimes I just write a sermon like it would be a classroom lecture. The content's all there, but then I have to go over it again and say – how can I say this in a way that will make it mentally visual? And is there also some pictures or some things I can add in that actually does make it more visual?
0: Yeah. And do you think that um, the screens make you connect more with people or separate you more from people?
2: Yeah, well, Maybe it's
0: not that binary, but I'm right. curious what your philosophy is on that.
2: Um, what's interesting, because we're such a screen culture that when I'm teaching live, and I'm standing right in front of people. I'm looking at them. Sometimes they're not looking at me. They're looking to the left and the right, where we have two large screens, yeah. and they're watching me on the screens in front of them, even though I'm right there. Um, so people are comfortable looking at a screen, and if it if it makes the image larger and it's easier to see, um, then I think that's that's great. That's fine. For me, um, anyone who thinks that the sermon on Sunday morning is the is the totality of discipleship is not living in community. So whether it comes through a screen. Or, uh, or they're just looking at me one-on-one, I'm, I, that's playing its part. It's one aspect of discipleship. But for me, the really interesting thing is then what happens afterwards. How do we take this message into community? How do we dissect it, apply it to our lives? And am I getting into those groups and being a part of that conversation? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing.
0: Yeah. I mean it's it's a a church based not around Sunday. Which is for a mega church a different kind of a model than (laughs) a lot of others. And maybe you don't even like Mm. the word make I know you've sorta said in the beginning, you don't view yourselves as a mega church. It's house church movement.
2: True, but in in, yeah, I mean Maybe in American um, numbers we're not a mega church. Maybe in Canada, you know, five thousand people is a mega church. But yeah, um, but yeah it, I mean, it's kind of both ends. Uh, on Sundays we look that way. But we, the, that the conversation. There's this line from an author named Larry Crabb. I love. He says, "Real church happens when you turn the chairs to face one another." And I go, "Oh, that's beautiful." So it's not just this kind of artificial. Everyone facing the same direction with the paid professional holy man or woman at the front. It's, it's actually, okay, that's part to play, but let's not kid ourselves and think that's the fullness of church. Mm-hmm. Now, when we turn our chairs to face one another, we get involved in each other's lives, I think that's when it really becomes authentic. And if that's happening regularly, you know, some churches will say, we have, a, we have church on Sunday and then we have a small group program. I think we should shift the emphasis and say we have church in small groups. Oh, and we also have an optional Sunday morning program if you want to come and hear a lecture. <laughs> but that's really the optional icing on the cake, you know, even though culturally we think of that as church. New Testament, that's not church. What's happening in the homes in each other's mm. lives, that's church. Mm.
0: So, I mean, in the same sense of of trying to uh, de-emphasize yourself, I mm. think in a lot of ways, mm. I know um, just because some of my friends are, are part of your team, um, mm. um, you sh- you're sharing more and more. You're sharing the teaching. What are some yeah. ways that you're Maybe it's, maybe it's aspirational, like it's happening in mm-hmm. the future, but you're building something to develop more communicators. Yeah. What are some things you're doing? Or people who are listening to this podcast you know, are thinking, like, I want to be developed as a communicator. What are some things yeah. that you're kind of building around that?
2: Okay, yeah, sure. First of all, for people who are just starting out, I encourage them to preach someone else's sermon. Okay. which might sound weird. But one of the ways you develop certain skills is by isolating that skill. It's like working out, isolating a particular muscle. And so the actual communicator's muscle, to also be a writer, that's a second skill, um, which is important. You'd love to be the whole package. But if you want to just start learning how to communicate better, I give blessing to our pastors saying, take one of my sermons or someone else's sermon, and you just give credit. You say, I'm borrowing some ideas today from Bruxy or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then And you can make it your own, the illustrations and other things. You kind of you, you, you shift it to become your own. But the primary research and writing of a sermon takes someone else's. I love some of the best singers in the world, like, say, Frank Sinatra, has never written a song in his life. He, he, he's a singer. And mm-hmm. we've now gotten into the era of the singer-songwriter where you just assume that uh, every song that... Um, I don't know who's big. Justin Bieber Justin Bieber yeah <laughs> <laughs> Does he write songs? I don't know. Uh, I think Justin. he does. So, yeah, yeah. Or, but I yeah, mean he has a lady, lot of
0: co-writers.
2: Sure. Yeah. And Lady Gaga or um, Taylor Swift, yeah, yeah Taylor they're all going to tell stuff. you the yeah. story about the songs they've written, so they're singer-songwriters, but you can but there are a lot of songwriters who are never going to sing and there are a lot of singers who don't write songs. So I might suggest just start out borrowing but giving credit in a way that's I think still authentic to yourself. Then uh, when it comes to research um, I just think I, I love to research and dig in. I encourage people, dig deep. Um, but then after you, after you write that initial pass, which is the content, what you've researched, then go over it again from the standpoint of who's going to be listening. And sometimes what excites you is not going to excite them. So you have to imagine the people you know, hopefully you're in a relationship with, you're going to be talking to. And what I do is I write like a three-hour sermon for to start. And then I start to... Um, I've heard the phrase, I start to kill my darlings, <laughs> <laughs> my precious little children that I, all these ideas I've worked on, I just have to start letting them go right. and say, this impresses me, but it's not going to impress anybody else, and no one will ever hear this. So I start with a bulked up content sermon, and then it's easier to start just thinking relationally and saying, no, what? here's what I won't say, here's what I won't say, um, so I don't cram too much in. And that's always very difficult because of pride. I've done the research. I want everyone to hear how smart I am, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Uh, the killing kill your babies or yeah, kill your yeah, darlings yeah. I've heard that before. Or yeah. maybe or oh this is not just a this is maybe for uh, I found in my own communicating sometimes it's like oh this is maybe just between the lord and I I needed to learn this yeah, right, but right, for this good, day it's not good, for everyone excellent, else. Excellent. Maybe the lord wanted it me to my own yeah, little I, nugget.
2: <laughs> that's a good point. That's good. Nothing goes to waste. Yeah. Yeah. And then I love now to develop other teachers within our context. Uh, we have some So I have some younger pastors that I'm also who have moved on from just kind of preaching the occasional sermon to teaching more regularly, and um, you know preparing their own messages. And in that case, I'll meet with them beforehand at the first stage. Just meet before, walk through it. I get to be their audience member and tell them what I think is connecting with me and what is more of I can tell this is your darling and you need to let it go and process that. And then be present when they deliver it on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. We have three services and the value of that is that after that first service, no matter who's speaking, and certainly I go through this every week, we have a team that sits around and picks it apart. And says you thought you were impressive in point number three, but point number three is boring. <laughs> and, and you know we got to hear this, and it's just, it just puts our ego in the right place. And um, and so after that first service, we kind of revamp the message with a really quick scrum. Where even wow. after we've been working on it as a team, it still gets pummeled. And um, and then we have two other chances to to work it out. And um, so I'm doing that with other teachers who are young and learning and growing and. Um, it's lovely to be a part of that. Wow. And then and then we've got Danielle Strickland, who comes along and she's already she's ready made. She's ready to hit the ground. She you know she doesn't need development. She's developing us, and it's just really cool to have all these different levels of expertise and experience. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Brexiy, you're a delight. Nice. I love anytime we we get to chat because I find it so refreshing to hear. Um, your approach to communication and to leadership and oh. just very grateful for you being a part of the Canadian space and oh, of course nice. internationally you know I just was in the UK very recently and you know recognized that some people there were listening to your content so your content goes beyond certainly but oh, cool. I'm grateful that you're here in our nation if people want to find you or mm-hmm. find you um, You know, your content, where where, where should people go?
2: Sure. Three things. Number one, social media. With a name like Bruxy Cavey, I've got to be easy to find. So (laughs) uh, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you can look up Bruxy. Um, Secondly, my website is Bruxy.com. When you have a weird name, you might as well use it. Bruxy.com. And then our church website is TheMeetingHouse.com. All one word, TheMeetingHouse.com and all our teachings there and resources.
0: Awesome. Thanks so Mm -hmm. much.
2: Thank you. This is a real privilege. Appreciate it.
0: Brooks, thanks so much for that conversation. It was just so fun to sit down with him in early March um, before the world turned upside down, before his own ministry turned upside down. And it's amazing to see uh, what The Meeting House has been doing um, in response to all things pandemic, how they've gone online. I encourage you to check out the the church and their website um, just to see how they're doing it and how they're mobilizing people in really meaningful ways all over the community to serve, uh, to get together in really creative ways. And to do church. So next up on the podcast, Rebecca Lyons is going to be on with us. She most recent, She's an author, speaker, part of Q, uh, many other things. But most recently, she wrote a book called Rhythms of Renewal. And I want to dig in with her a little bit about um, this very timely topic of renewal, um, rest, restoration, connection, and how to create in like a busy, noisy, digital world. So um, can't wait to dive in with her Next week on the podcast, thanks so much to Compassion and to Wickliffe for partnering. Compassion.ca slash COVID is where you can donate any amount. A timely donation right now uh, is so helpful to support what they're doing around the world. The church is rising up and we want you to rise with us. So would you come and consider sponsoring partnering with Compassion at that website. Links down in the show notes, of course. Wycliffe College, SGA, slash slash Digital is the other place I want you to check out if you're looking at growth uh, in discipleship, growth in leadership, and maybe an entire program or course of master's studies or doctoral studies you want to take. Check out Wycliffe College. And finally, the Digital Church Facebook group. I would love to see you join us there and join those conversations as we continue to grow the community, connect, grow, learn together. See you next week with Rebecca Lyons.
1: Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna Lafleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, rate it, and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.